0: It's WNRI's Upfront. The opinions expressed represent those only of the panel and callers and do not reflect the views of WNRI and its owners. Telephone lines are now open at 7690600. And now, let's join the Upfront panel. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Upfront program. And let's sit down with State Representative Steve Casey and we're going to chat a little bit about uh, what's going on at the state house and also uh also he's a little bit in the news uh because uh, of the uh, congressional race uh, that uh will be um will be on the ballot in September. Steve, uh, welcome back to the microphones. Good, mo- good
1: morning, Roger. Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
0: All right. So you're still an active firefighter, right? Yes, um, sir. Right. And yes, sir. so um it's good to um to know that because I know that you've uh You've, uh, uh, I guess, uh, responded to a number of scenes over the years that uh, has made your experience interesting. I'm, I'm referring to, I think uh, it was a feature article. I don't know if it was in the journal or or somewhere where they were talking with you. And you, you said that um, uh, this is a, a job that brings you to uh, places where uh, a lot of people don't want to go to, right? Uh,
1: yes, it was re- regarding... Uh PTSI, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress injury. Yes,
0: that's the story, yep. right? And it's true, right? Um, it's it's not uh, it's not a, a pleasant job. Yeah, there are, somebody's got to do it.
1: There are times when we are exposed to things that people uh, under normal circumstances will never will never see, and uh, it can be traumatic at times. Um, and we deal with that in certain ways. Um, you know, we have EAP programs and things like that uh, that that we can reach out. And, uh, get a little help if we have to deal with something, so.
0: And I'm not going to ask you a lot of firefighter questions because you're not the fire chief and, and not a spokesman for the department. But do you feel that, uh, it's as difficult now to recruit firefighters to this, uh, job because it's not just fighting fires anymore? There's a, it's a broad response like there is, uh, Police departments finding police recruits. Uh, Are are firefighters uh, signing up for the job left and right, or is that a thin place, too? Speaking as an individual.
1: Speaking as an individual and and seeing what's what's happened within our department and other departments. Uh, I do have a lot of friends across the state that are Mm -hmm. firemen. And uh, it's a a dwindling number of people that are actually interested in in public safety service, uh, whether it's police or fire. Uh, When I first took the test 17 years ago, well, I took it 18 years ago, uh, there were 200 people applying for the job uh, when, you know, and they didn't really say, they never told us how many openings the the department had. They said, you want to get on the list. Um, And so... The list. Yes, they call it the list. And there were 200 people uh, when I first applied. We had to take our exam in two groups at the high school cafeteria, two separate groups, two separate days. And... uh, That's, you know, that's how we that's how it was. Nowadays, um, we're not seeing more than 10 people apply at one time. Uh, So it's it's a it's a little bit different. And there are a few things you can attribute to that. Um, One is uh, is pay scale. Uh, you know, your minimum wage has increased now. Uh, people are people are getting paid fifteen dollars to flip hamburgers, and uh, we're not making much more money to run into burning buildings. Um, I think there's also it's a calling. Um, public safety service is a, a true calling. Uh, you have to be a certain t- certain type of individual to want to do those things. Um, you are truly helping people all the time, uh, and you know it, it's 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 not for some. So that's uh, that's that's what I can tell you as far as uh, being a police officer. I'm sure that that is uh, you know that's a little bit more dangerous, um, and and people look at that as a little bit more. Uh, I, well, I wouldn't say it's more dangerous, but your situational uh, things that can happen in certain situations could be more dangerous, and and it's uh, that that is a calling as well. So it's really difficult to say exactly what the what the uh, The reasons why the uh, application numbers are so low and and we're actively recruiting the Fire Chiefs Association of Rhode Island um, is actively advertising, uh, you know, to recruit people to all departments. Um, So, you know, it's really tough to say why. I think you said why.
0: Very well. Thank you. Appreciate it. Now we're going to talk about the General Assembly. Steve Casey. Is in the studio with us, District 50, Woonsocket, elected uh, back in uh, 2012. So uh, I guess uh, when we add uh, 10 years, uh, that would be 2022. So uh, 11 years um, in politics, right? Um, yeah. And so you've um, got a lot of uh, committees that you're on and so forth. But I want to ask you about housing because uh, when I asked um, Larry Berman, and you see Larry Berman all the time at mm-hmm. the State House, uh, he is the director of communications for the House of Representatives. And, um, and he said, uh, well, Roger, I feel like, uh, you know, affordable housing is really one of the top agenda items uh, for the General Assembly. And uh, so do you agree with uh, Larry or, or do you see um, some stuff on top of that uh, more important?
1: Uh, I would agree that it, it is the one of the most pressing issues uh, of our time right now. Uh, I am chairing the Municipal Government and Housing Committee. Um, Speaker Sakachi asked me to do that um, after handling the Health and Human Services Committee during the pandemic. Um, and the success that we had there, he asked me to move over to the Housing uh, Housing Committee. And, uh, yes, this is, uh, this is the number one issue. Uh, we do have quite a bit of legislation that has been brought forth to ease some of the what i would say what i say are the red tape issues uh that that developers um run into when trying to uh trying to create uh, low to moderate income housing and so we're basically trying to compress the time frame so that we can uh address the problem that we have as quickly as possible
0: now do you find it um a little bit uh strange uh, or or difficult that um, you represent a city where we 've got a pretty good uh, affordable housing record, I guess uh, we can always do better, and uh, you 're trying to help push the legislation for others to get behind it because in the answer that Mr. Berman gave yesterday, clearly some communities um, are looking the other way about uh, about this
1: yeah it's been it 's been uh, for a long time uh, there 's been a Uh, A general rule in the assembly that each community should have at least uh, 10 percent of their uh, housing stock as low to moderate income housing. And um, Woonsocket and some of the other um, more urban municipalities, your Central Falls, your Pawtuckets, uh, and even Newport, um, they they reach, you know, they're all reaching in the numbers between 14 and 17 percent. Uh, low to moderate income housing. So there are other communities that we're trying to um, trying to incentivize into developing these type of projects. And there is some success there, but there's also some barriers to that as well. Um, some of your more rural areas, your Exeter's and situates, um, they don't have an infrastructure that really will support these type of projects. So, you know, if you think you want to build something like a Saint Germain Manor, 100, 100, 100, units or more, 150 units uh, in a town like Exeter, um, there are things that you need. You, you need sewage. <laughs> yes, you, you need water and sewer, and more importantly, you need public transportation because the majority of the people that might be in these uh, in, in this type of a property. Uh, may may not be able to afford vehicles and may not have vehicles, so they have to rely on uh, public trans- uh, rely on public transportation so there's a there 's a, a a real um, you have to kind of look at it from a, a a higher view you know they say like from a helicopter view of of the entire picture of the state and and where are where are those areas uh, that we can develop more low to moderate income housing and it 's really in it's closer to your urban, uh, your urban hub areas because they do have all the public transportation, the water and sewer, and everything. That infrastructure is always already laid within uh, within the area. So, now
0: one of you know one of the ways, like, like here in Winsocket, I'm seeing a lot of apartment uh, activity going on right now. On, for instance, on Main Street next to, uh, no, right at the Winsocket Call Building, the upstairs of the Winsocket Call. That's all going to be apartments. Uh, the Old CYO center is going to be apartment, so there's a lot of apartment uh, construction going on. But there's been some legislation to um, make places that weren't normally apartments apartments, like um, maybe making that in-law apartment really legal or something like that, or or uh, or some other. Uh, creative way of of um, of creating affordable housing that wasn't there before.
1: Right. So we're talking about uh, accessory dwelling units. They're called ADUs, and that, that's the term that people use. So an accessory dwelling unit is uh, is a it, it, there's specific zoning um, zoning restrictions or zoning. Uh, I can't even find the term. But there's uh, specific rules that will allow for an ADU to be built if you have uh, a certain number of square footage on your plot. And let's say you have a house, um, you already have one house on that plot there based on the square footage you can you can qualify to actually build an accessory dwelling unit which could be a one bedroom apartment over a garage it could be a you know a garage type unit that you convert completely to uh an apartment and the ADUs uh, the concept of the ADUs is so that um it's usually uh the concept is that it can be used for a family member um you know, so that a family member can move into that property, and so essentially, you will have, uh, you know, a single-family home with maybe an accessory dwelling unit um, still on the property on the side. So, they're uh, they're not uncommon, uh, and there's a lot of conversions uh, that are being. Uh, you know, garage-type conversions that are being uh, turned into accessory dwelling units.
0: So I'm not going to belabor this thing on housing, but it was mentioned by Mr. Berman. It was mentioned by uh, Mr. Newberry uh, when he was here last week, and and others have mentioned it. Mr. Chippendale was a guest yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, and he mentioned it uh, also, yeah. uh, but in a different light. He was explaining what you were explaining, some of the problems with uh, creating affordable housing uh, in, uh, rural Gloucester, for instance. Yep. I'm just going to finish up, uh, you know, I know you, you know, Dan Trafford over, uh, yes. in the General Assembly, and he sends us, a uh, this week in the General Assembly package. But one of the, one of the things that did pass last week, House passes bill, and this is tying into our conversation, and we'll jump to something else. House passes bill to streamline housing development appeals, uh, so that, um, so that developers can can move forward uh, with these projects quicker, I'm sure you knew something about that one too.
1: Yes. So um, the the purpose of that legislation is is to basically um, compress the timeframes for for appeals and hearings. Mm-hmm. Um, there used to be an appeal process that um, if you're if you have a development and all of a sudden somebody has an issue with it and they're going to want to it's called to, wear down the developer. Yes, and they <laughs> so they so if somebody wants to technically sue you and delay the process um that that uh, just the court hearing process could take over a year or possibly two years on a regular basis so like you said that's a slowdown a person who wants to develop property uh, who wants to come you know they want to come in they want to build something and be able to turn that around and make and make some profit on it start renting those units uh, and when you get into this uh, the, you know the delays and the courts so the person who owns the property has purchased it they're they're sitting on it they're paying taxes on it they're not they haven't made any money and now you're tying them up with court costs and court fees and time um, it's just it's just one one way that like you said, it's a delay for the development uh, in which it, it basically hurts everybody, the, the city and town that this is taking place in, as well as the developer. It's just another example of the type of
0: legislation that's in the General Assembly that's addressing this problem. This is not the only one, but right. it's a, an example of of the multi-package that you talked about that you're working with uh, Speaker Sakachi about. Yes. Now I'm going to move to another General Assembly issue. And, uh, yes, we are going to talk to uh, Mr. Uh, Casey about um, about his run for Congress. Uh, that will be in the second part of the program. So I don't want to use Larry Berman as my springboard of questions, but um, I am going to use him a second time. Uh, but I think that, uh, again, Chippendale and Newberry and... Um, and we're going to get Phillips in here as soon as we can, as soon as that school schedule opens. Yeah, uh, he's
1: a, he's a busy man. I <laughs> thought I thought I was right. Busy, I thought you were
0: tough to get. I, right. Yeah,
1: I you know I I, right. I keep a tight schedule, but Bob is uh, right. Bob is a busy guy. Well,
0: I might have to have a meeting with the school committee, get him uh, some time off uh, with pay, <laughs> just to get him in here. Anyway, uh, the other thing is um, is what the house is all about, um, and that's structuring a budget. And Mister Berman was telling me yesterday. That budget looks okay this year, simply because there's so much American Rescue Funds to fall back on. Even though we don't have the truck tolls, and even though we're not making a lot of money on marijuana, that's for sure. But it's next year. So, Steve, this year finances with the budget, but uh, is
1: that next year the big problem? Well, I think uh, I think. I think every year you, you have to look at things uh, differently every year, um, and and yes, you have to look at, you know, uh, there's a lot of what, what I'm going to call one-time spending with the the opera money and, and the COVID relief money, and, and um, you know, I'm hoping that. that uh, the investments that we're making with these one-time funds are going to pay off down the road. Uh, we're investing a lot of money into into the housing uh, situation, into the into the low-income housing situation. So I, I think that that will benefit down the road. Um, you know, budget is a is a funny thing. There's 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 a there's a way to find there's always a way to find more money. I think, um, and we really need to take a deep dive into. Uh, a lot of the spending that's happening. Um, there are certain, uh, I would say quasi governmental groups that, uh, that are, that are funded, that are funded or partially funded through the state budget. And, uh, for, for me, those are things that I'd really like to take a look at and say, well, you know, what is, what is the budget? What are we spending on these groups? And, and are we getting a bang for our buck? Um, so there's, there's always ways to look at, uh, and to find a little bit more.
0: Uh, so you're saying that maybe, uh, as Mr. Berman suggested, um, we'll have enough to uh, support our finances this year, and maybe next year might be uh, a little more troublesome.
1: It's quite possible that next year could be troublesome, I, I, but I think I think there's a, f- a few things that need to happen. I, I think that the that the, the state really needs to look at um, opportunities for federal. Uh, For federal funding, uh, especially with infrastructure projects, roads, bridges, uh, you know, we've got to bring – you've heard that there's a plan to redo, you know, Route 146, and we've got to really take that by the – take the bull by the horns and take care of that, but there are some other issues with that where um, if we start that project – and we don't think about actually bringing um, water and more utilities up that 146 corridor because th- that area is not fully developed. Uh, there's there's uh, plenty of land in that area to be commercialized or to be used for um, for housing. Um, and if we don't bring, <coughs> don't have a plan to bring water and utilities up into that area, then. Uh, once they break ground and that there's going to be a 10-year moratorium, you can't really do anything. So we have to look at uh, possibilities of federal funding, uh, federal matching funds to, to make these infrastructure projects and get them all done at the same time. Uh, it just makes more sense financially, and it allows for um, quicker future development. With prudence of course you
0: don't want route 9 in framingham. <laughs> right?
1: Well you, you know this this is true but there are ways to there are ways to work around these things uh-huh. and, and uh you know you've got some areas up there that really can be uh can be well developed and and maybe not so not look so commercial.
0: Before we leave this segment I'm going to ask you uh all right I brought brought up the budget and I brought up um the uh, the other issue um and I'll let you uh, mention anything else you want to mention. But I just wanted to talk about politics in the in the General Assembly and get your view on this. Yep. And that would be um, Peter Narona, who I think uh, when he finishes his term is probably going to run for governor of the state of Rhode Island. But he's, the the way that he handled um, Governor McKee uh, with this extra $2 million, which $2 million is a lot of money. But compared to the Rhode Island state budget, it is a drop in the bucket. And so he has been—that is, Narona—he's been—he's uh, been talking to uh, the Speaker of the House. Uh, I don't want to call him your boss, but I'll call him your Speaker. And he's been talking to uh, to the Senator, uh, Senator Ruggiero. He's been lobbying for that extra money that McKee didn't put in his budget. And I think um, you know, and and again back to Berman, he thinks that he's prob- probably that money is going to come in. Uh, how does that money come into the the budget? And you think Narona's is uh, going to get what he needs to hire his twenty staffers to uh, to uh, fulfill his argument that he's been making on TV? He's been on the radio. He's been on Twitter. He's been everywhere.
1: Yes. So, um, first of all, I just wanted to let you know that the speaker of the House is. Not my boss, and he probably wouldn't consider himself the boss. He is mm-hmm. our colleague, uh, and he is a good friend of mine. We have— We'll uh, clarify that. Yep, and we, we came into office together in mm-hmm. 2013, uh, as well as the chairman of finance, Marvin Abney. Uh, and we, Marvin and I sat next to each other for our first uh, four years in the House. Um, so I consider him uh, a good friend. I understand uh, I understand exactly uh, what Peter Narona is concerned about. Um, I think uh, you know. I, I was able to listen to uh, a few of his interviews uh, regarding the budgetary issues and regarding the, the you know those items not being in the governor's. He <laughs> hit pretty budget. hard. Uh, I think he did, and uh, right, rightfully so. I think you know. I think he's been doing a really good job as as the attorney general, um, and and I don't uh, I don't doubt that there's a lot more that can be done. Uh, in this state, as uh, you know, as for consumer protection and human rights protection, and uh, you know, Peter Narona was the U.S. attorney prior to prior to being here. Um, he knows what he's doing. Uh, I think if he needs if he needs those uh you know full time employees to uh, to get the job done, and like you said, two million dollars in the thirteen billion dollar budget uh, it it really is like you say a drop in the bucket and everybody but you know it 's really difficult um because Everybody needs more. Everybody, every department needs more. There's, there are social services departments that need more. We need more. Um, to we need to do more in healthcare. Medicaid. Uh, you know, we've got nurses, nurses and CNAs who need a pay raise. Um, we need to be able to keep these people employed to provide the services for the people that need them. So everybody, every dollar in that thirteen billion dollar budget, people are clamoring for.
0: So my question to you is, uh, will he get it and will
1: he will he have gotten it anyway
0: if he didn't uh, do this uh, public campaign?
1: I'm not I'm not so sure. (laughs) You know, I'm not so sure. Uh, I am not on the finance committee. Uh I am the chairman of the municipal government housing committee and I serve on four other committees as well. Um, So I, I don't. Get to uh, get to see a lot of the. I mean, we get the budgetary review um, probably on a monthly basis, and obviously we're waiting for the revenue estimating conference to be over in the middle of May uh, to see what our what our revenues are, our projected revenues are going to be. But uh, you know that that fight, uh, and we'll call I will call it a fight. You know that fight is is going to be between um, you know the AG's office and and I I think I think from. You know his fight is with the governor, but I think with the uh, with the speaker of the house and the senate president, I think it's more of a negotiation and an, and an ask. Um, but I I think the attorney general does a great job. Um, if I had the money, I'd give it to him in a second. I think uh, I think he's been doing great work.
0: Um, he has sort of a grin on his face in the studio, so I think his answer is, yeah, I think he's going to get it. I just don't want to quite say it. Uh,
1: well, no, you know what? I, I smile all the time. Don't get me wrong. Uh, so I really don't know. I'm uh-huh. telling you that I do not know.
0: All right. Final question before we uh, uh, break and get back to uh, uh, the congressional race. And that would be uh, an opportunity. I've talked about affordable housing. I've talked about the budget. i talked about a few uh, things that are completely uh, not that important so um, so what about the rest of this general Assembly session anything you want to mention
1: about it or I can go to break uh, well I think like like you said you're hitting on you're hitting on the heavy <coughs> issue uh, and the, the heavy issue really is uh, for us housing um, I think we're, we really need to uh, continue to make uh, inroads with, uh, you know, addressing the substance use disorder problem that we have uh, here in Rhode Island and the mental health. And, and I'll tell you what, all of these things, housing, substance use disorder, mental health, they are all intertwined uh, greatly. If you have a problem in one of these areas, it potentially leads to a problem in all of those areas. Um, so, so you know, these are things that, that we really we really need to address Um and and I think if we can have success, uh, you know, minor successes in all of those areas, everything is going to be, uh, things will be a lot better for people uh, in general uh, throughout the state.
0: All right. When we get back, uh, we'll uh, read uh, an email that came in yesterday, and I'm kind of isolating it so that uh, Steve doesn't have to comment on it because it has to do with national politics. But I do apologize for not reading it yesterday when Mr. Berman was here. I'll put it in context when we get back. And then we'll talk about uh, Congressional District Race 1. The go-to place for authentic Italian dining is Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar. Over 20 Italian dishes made to order from our menu or experience our Sicilian-style pizza. Build your own while you choose from your veggies, meats, and cheeses. And of course, our traditional family-style chicken dinner is offered every day. Savini's Pomodoro on Rathbun Street with affordable accommodations for weddings, birthdays, anniversaries, and business meetings. Close Mondays open Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 4, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays at noon. For reservations, call 762-5114. That's 762-5114. Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar, 476 Rathbun Street, One Socket
1: inviting you to join us at our family-owned businesses, Savini's or Ciro's, perfect for any event.
0: Soup and salad bar now available, and Papa Savini's famous roasted chicken and noodle soup, also available by the 32-ounce jar to take home at Savini's Pomodoro. And chatting a little bit with the management over at Savini's, uh, we want to remind you, we will be open Mother's Day, and we have a Mother's Day menu, uh, $24.99, $14.99 for kids. And, um, you can make a reservation for Mother's Day. I highly recommend that As a matter of fact uh they were sold out for Easter, so they'll be sold out for uh Mother's day seven six two fifty one fourteen Now that's Mother's Day. However, today is Tuesday, and I always remind you on Tuesday that they have uh the wine special their entire wine list is um half price so if uh you enjoy uh wines uh like uh The Da Vinci Chianti, uh, that uh, is available for uh, $25 a bottle. It's $12.50 a bottle. $12.50 a bottle for wine on Tuesday night at Savini's Pomodoro. That's a pretty good deal. I was at uh, Smith & Walensky up in Boston the other week or so in... A glass of wine. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: you're paying $12 a glass <laughs> right, right, up there. Right. That's right. Right. A nice view of, uh, of a harbor, but uh, $12, $12.50. Give me a break. All right, let's check in with Scott McGee. Scott McGee of REMAX Properties brings his years of real estate experience to you, whether buying or selling. Check out this property currently on the market from the McGee team. All right, Scott McGee has a real estate uh, listings all over the Blackstone Valley. And uh, including, um, oh, last week we had one uh, here in Woonsocket. That thing, that, that property went quickly, quickly. And now we're going to move to a new property. And this time uh, Scott's got a nice piece of property in Johnston, Rhode Island. And um, it's near uh, two of the golf courses uh, in Johnston, um, that uh you can if you like to play golf or if you uh, like to make sure that your property is uh not in a congested area, you might find this fifty eight merino street property just the thing it's got three bedrooms, one full bath on the main level it's priced to sell at three forty nine nine uh, right near the Dyerville State Golf Course and the Triggs uh, Golf Course, so check it out. Uh, um, Scott has that property six thirty nine twenty nine zero six. Scott McGee. One more commercial here in the break, and then we'll go back uh, with uh, Mister. Uh, Steve Casey. State Representative Casey. Kayer Kosher, your accounting, financial planning, tax preparation, and business consulting services of Woonsocket and Warwick. 600 Cass Avenue, Woonsocket, Jefferson Boulevard, and Warwick. Call us locally at 766-8100. Remember, outside of the tax season, we do planning for business, individuals, and families. We're Kayer Kosher. We're certified public accountants. Again, our local number, 766-8100. And remember, having Kayer Kosher to consult with on your Personal financial situation is like having all the right answers.
1: You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel.
0: (laughs) And I thought the uh, Congressional Race 2 had a lot of attention. Oh, now we're into Congressional Race number one, a race that I didn't expect. uh, ...that we would be talking about uh, has surfaced, and we have some candidates. Now, yesterday, when Mr. Berman was here, we were chatting about national politics... ...because Larry, uh, being a Woonsocket native uh, and former um, uh, city editor at the call... matter of fact, he was a managing editor at the call when I first came into the business... ...well, uh, he speaks on any topic, so we're talking about Joe Biden, and um, Joe Biden has his fans... And I wouldn't say uh, that uh, he has his detractors. During the program, uh, one of our listeners said, this is from yesterday's program, got nothing to do with today's interview with Steve Casey. If he wants to comment, he can, but I doubt he will. In my opinion, writes this uh, caller, age isn't much of a factor for a presidential candidate, mental ability and cognitive status is... And if you are uh, if you like late term abortions, an open border out of uh, control, inflation, high oil and gas prices, high food costs, rewarding those with bad credit and pushing those with good credit. A transgender military and a transgender women playing against smaller biological women on sports teams, I guess, writes our caller from yesterday's program. Joe Biden is your guy. He certainly isn't mine. That's what one person said, and I think we had one come in concerning your visit here. Mr. Casey, uh, it says here, hey, Booch, that's me, ask your guest about his plan for harvesting mail ballots. Mail ballots are a way to victory. <laughs> and uh, how can you win as a Democrat uh, if you're not a pro-baby killer? Apparently, uh, your uh, your position on, on abortion, which I, I think you're going to make clear in a few seconds, let... R.I. Vote, let R.I. Vote will come back to haunt you uh, when you are defeated by mail ballots. All right, so apparently this, uh, uh, this uh, I think this person is protective of you in this email, and they're afraid that mail ballots are going to be uh, your undoing. Now, let's talk to Steve Casey, who is running for Congress in the 1st Congressional District. I'll talk about some of the other people, but let's talk about this email first.
1: Okay. Hi Larry, it's great to be, be be here as a congressional candidate. Actually, it's not the election hasn't even started yet, so yeah. technically I'm not. Maybe we maybe just like my opinion on the race is what's yeah, happening. Yeah, would you do, please? Um, so uh, to to get into uh, that last email, um, yes. So this is a uh, this is a special election, uh, and right now they're they're assuming that there's probably only going to be thirty five thousand people. Um, Total That vote in the special election. Now, when you're considering it's half of the state uh, to have thirty five thousand people voting uh, in half of the state, it's very, very small, very low turnout. And with the high number of candidates that are here in the race, uh, yes, mail balloting mail ballot. Uh, as they call harvesting or whatever, however you want to call it, um, that's going to be a large part of this election, not only because, uh, that's, that's, a, you know, that's one way to, uh, to secure, secure votes. Um, this is also the, the election date is the day after labor day. So literally you got to figure out how to drag people out to the polls. People are going to be coming back from vacations. They're going to be sleeping late. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, and if the weather's bad, that also will, will determine you know issues as well with people actually getting to the polls. So um, it's going to be a very interesting uh, process to figure out exactly how things happen. Um, there are people that specialize in mail ballot harvesting <coughs> or the, that you know getting mail ballots out there. Uh, but I I think I think this is going to be a very personal uh, a, a personal approach. Uh, we're gonna have to get in front of a lot of people and shake hands and meet a lot of people uh and let them get to know uh who i am and uh I think that that's really the best way to do that and just you know you gotta try to uh you gotta try to emphasize the importance of you know that 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 one vote uh that single vote every person's vote is gonna count so greatly because they're thinking that the your win number is gonna be. 10,000 or less, uh, you know, as far as uh, the number of votes you're going to need with this number, with 15 candidates, uh, you know, everybody's going to have their, quote unquote, their little base of of, uh, operations. So yeah, maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I'm very popular in Woonsocket, but I'll bet you there's going to be people in Woonsocket that say, oh, you know what? He'll be fine. I don't have to go. I don't have to vote. And that's where, that's where the mistakes are made. And, and so, you know, I, I'd like to encourage everybody that it is very important uh, to get out, exercise your right, even though it's a special election. Uh, it's the only thing going on in the country as far as elections are concerned during that period. But that's that's what's important. You know, going can say, oh, yeah, everybody loves Casey. They're going to vote for him uh, and then they won't go to the polls. And then when you lose by one, that's uh, you know, that's that's pretty disappointing. From my side of the fence, it's going to
0: be tough to cover this race with all these candidates, but we're trying. So one of the things, um, yesterday, for instance, in our news, uh, thanks to, uh, Ian Donis over at the public radio, he's been interviewing a couple of candidates. And, and in the past couple of days, he interviewed, um, he interviewed John Gonsalves, um, from Providence City Council and he interviewed, uh, Aaron uh, Rigenberg, um, and they sounded you know, in running a soundbite on them uh, from their interviews, they sounded like they were the same candidate. And there's where uh, I'm looking at some of the r- resumes of some of the other progressive-type candidates who have come out. And there's, I think, where, uh, where your strength is uh, because I think they're going to dilute themselves. Those two are not the only two progressives. i got a whole list of them fr- in front of me. And, um, and progressives are going to go for,
1: for that group any comment yep so there's uh right now about uh 14 candidates that i would consider progressive and one candidate that i would consider a moderate democrat mm-hmm. um and i would be that one candidate so i think there is a certainly a lane uh for me but again it's a it's a question of getting the people out i think there is a a yearning and a wanting for uh you know i think nationwide for a little bit of uh, moderation and uh that certainly is a lane but uh you know, it's like i said it's 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 encouraging and it's getting people to actually go ahead and understand that you know this is an opportunity for a little something different than what we've had um and and i think that uh i think that it, it really is a a question of convincing people how important it is to go to the polls and let your voices be heard
0: is this is a social media campaign is this a door to door campaign is this a television campaign
1: or uh- print campaign or radio campaign what kind of a campaign is it i think you mentioned almost you hit almost everything on the head this is an everything campaign uh when you get to this level and i'm learning this as we go when you get to this level um you have to use every available opportunity to get in front of the people um if you're not doing whatever your competitors are doing then uh people see that as a deficiency in your ability and your management of your of your campaign uh, I think social media is very important, uh, more, more so to just track and, and show people where you are, what you're doing uh, and how and how much you're actually putting in to this campaign. I think I think there are people who may never, ever talk to you during the campaign or you may never see them. But if they see the amount of time that you're spending uh, and the effort that you're putting in pretty much on their <coughs> behalf, when you think about it, you know, I, I'm. I'm not doing this for me. This is for my friends. This is for my family. This is for everybody in Rhode Island that has supported me over the last 11 years in my in my political life. And it's for those people that I've made friends with, and that I have relationships with, and people who, whom I've been able to help. Uh, you know, throughout my career at the state house, um, these are the people that that you know they understand the effort that you put in, and those are the people that. There are people that, when they see what you've done, and you can constantly look on a Facebook page and say, "Wow, this guy's over here. He's been over. You know, he's been in all of these areas, um, and he's done, you know, done work within within health and human services, within housing, within state government, uh, on the labor committee, with the veterans affairs committee. Um, you know, there's so many people that that you touch." That you don't even know about. Uh, There are people that have called me and said, I've been following you for your entire career, and I've never known these people. And they said, I've heard you're running for Congress. I'd like to help you. I think that is the most encouraging thing that that I've ever heard. Because it's the people that you don't know that you touch and that you don't know that are watching you. that, that, That drives you. So I've got these names. Aaron,
0: Steve, Sabina, John, Don, Sandra, Nathan, Walter, Marvin, Gabe. Nicholas, Makita, Stephanie, Alan, and Anna. And uh, so the Steve one that I mentioned is Steve Casey. How does Steve Casey, who just described himself, and so did Larry Berman yesterday, as a moderate Democrat, how does he stand out on that 15? I, I guess we, we go back to social media, <laughs> radio, television, going door to door, Uh I get, you, uh, you are the uh, moderate Democrat. How do we get that message out there?
1: Well, I think it's, uh, for me, for me it is, uh, it's going to be a number of different things. But I, I think the personal approach is really, uh, is really what it is. You know, I've spent a lot of time at, at events uh, and meeting with groups of people. Um, and I think it's the personal touch, not just being in front of people, but for them to actually connect. Um, You know, you can stand there and you can stand in front of people and tell them what, you know, I don't want to stand in front of people and tell them what they need. I want them to talk to me. I want them to know who I am, to know what kind of person I am. And I want them to tell me what they need. And I think that that's the difference. I'm not going to stand up and shout and say, this is what America needs. This is what you need. I I want to talk to people and let them know that I'm a good person. I, I, work as, I work on the rescue. I work for the fire department. I care about people first. And to me, it's not about your politics. Um, you know, th- there's, a, there's a separation here in, 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 in our country. You know, you've got the, the, the far right and the far left, and they just want to fight. Everybody wants to fight. I want to know people as a person. The politics doesn't matter to me. And what I truly believe, Roger, is if you and I don't agree politically... I still want to have a cup of coffee later, or go to dinner, and I want to know you as a person. Um, and and I'm one of those people that can put the politics aside and be a human being. I think we've lost the humanity in the whole thing, and it's it's pretty upsetting in, in a lot of ways. And I think that, I think that that, is is the separation that we have now, uh, and and we need we need to we need to unify again.
0: When I was a younger guy, and I was a teacher, I was a president of the teachers union. Yep, and. Um, and so, um, uh, I thought that was a good thing to be, uh, because I wanted to protect, uh, the interests of, uh, of teachers and, um, and, and so forth. I didn't think that was a bad thing. What about the, the charges, um, uh, somebody say, well, he's just gonna be another union guy. Um, but when I was in in the union, I didn't think I was such a bad guy after all. I thought I was uh,
1: doing good work, <laughs> right? And, and you know, it's funny because uh, because in my first in my first election to the to the House of Representatives, that was the big deal. You know, I was this union firefighter guy. I'm going to come, you know, said so I'm going to come in here and I'm going to just protect uh, protect union interests and fight for fight for union interests only. And, and I think over time people have realized, and I've got a lot of support from the business community. Uh, you know, I've I've been I've been with the business community ever since I. Got into the House of Representatives uh, the Rhode island manufacturers um, um, I'm hoping to gain their support it's been it's been just a great experience to be able to visit larger companies and understand what all of the everybody's needs are, and yes you know there's a, there's a, there's always a fight for for wages and for for good labor practices and those things but there's also from a business standpoint there's a fight for okay let's let's kind of deregulate let's not make things so hard for businesses to, to to stay in this climate Rhode Island has had for a long time a very difficult business climate and uh, over the past uh, over the past ten years uh, you know along with the work from the Rhode Island Manufacturers Association um, we've been able to create a a more business friendly uh, atmosphere here and and now um, we have businesses that are thriving in Rhode island we you know there are businesses that actually want to come to Rhode Island and and open up and do business so I think that 's really encouraging um, i've i 've helped to be a little part of that I want to continue that um, and i think it's been it 's been really good for our state i mean we can't we can 't just survive uh, you know with with not paying attention to everybody that's affected in our state, with no matter every piece of legislation that we have is going to affect the business community, it's going to affect uh, it's going to affect the the workers, the employees. Um, so I I think it just takes somebody that can bring everybody together, and I think that's the the person that I am.
0: All right, so uh, back on April the thirteenth, Catherine Gregg the uh I guess you'd say one of the senior reporters in the Rhode island circuit of uh of journalists uh, does the story on the announcement here 's a headline in the journal Representative Steve Casey confirms a run for Congress and here 's what he said um, um, they gave your age here fifty four that's that, correct that's all right she was right there here's one uh, one phrase uh, one sentence from her. Uh, see if this uh, characterizes you. As an anti-abortion pro-gun Democrat, Casey is the antithesis of many, if not most, of the candidates queuing up to replace U.S. Congressman David Cicilline when he resigns his uh, seat on June the 1st to take the helm of the Rhode Island Foundation. She says that you're the uh, opposite end, uh, as you I think uh, explained uh, a little bit earlier
1: in the interview. She was right there. Uh, in your opinion, was yes. that a fair characterization? I, I think that's a fair characterization. Uh, sometimes that characterization may come across as negative, mm-hmm. uh, but I think depends that sets, on who you're talking that to. That <laughs> sets me apart, uh, and it's very positive. I, I was, uh, you know, I was brought up, uh, brought up Catholic. I was an altar boy, you know, Boy Scout, Eagle Scout, lifeguard my entire life. Um, these are these are you know I, I can't change or be apologetic for who I am as a person, but I will say that because of my my own beliefs and the way that i feel um, you know you have to you have to approach things from a from a constituency look and um you know yes i am i am anti abortion but i don't want to change the law as it stands right now i'm not going to overturn i don't want to overturn Roe versus Wade, but I will say that um I will stand up against late term abortions um, as health care you know I, I i I apologize for the way that I feel maybe I don't need to be apologetic but um, I don't believe in late term abortions I have uh, specific experiences in my life uh, where I, I just can't stand for that um, i've I've been on rescue calls where we've given birth to uh, you know seven month gestated babies and they've survived but they but they you know they're They're aching to breathe. They want to live. And I have a cousin who gave birth to a 25-month, gave birth at 25 months, and this is 18 months ago. And that baby struggled, struggled for 18 months. She's now off oxygen. She is healthy. Um, and I just, I, I I will stand up against that. And I apologize for that. But m- like I said, maybe I don't need to be apologetic.
0: No, you don't.
1: Um, I'm also a believer in the Constitution. I don't own a gun, but I believe in a person's right to protect their family. And I also believe in a person's right to own uh, sports, you know, sports shooting rifles. Um, and, and, you know, this is a... It, this is a, it's a, you know, it's a fun thing for people. Some people go golf and some people go to the, go to the shooting range. Um, and I don't think that we need to create laws that are going to make law-abiding citizens criminals. I think we need to approach things from a different standpoint. Uh, we need to prosecute gun crimes that are committed instead of uh, pleading down gun charges. And I also believe that, you know, we need to focus on school safety. There are other banning guns, banning rifles, banning a certain certain type of rifle is not going to change the mental status of the people that are committing these horrific, horrific incidences. There's
0: a key word for me, uh, mental health. Yes,
1: we have we have a mental health problem uh, in not only in Rhode Island, but in the entire country and. What we need to do is, if we want to protect the children, I'm talking about resource officers. I don't care how many resource officers it takes. I don't care what it takes to uh, beef up security at a school. But if you want to protect your children, that's the way to do it. Um, And and I stand firmly on that. I've said it on the House floor before. Um, There are certain ways to solve problems. Um, And... We, we do need to approach things a little bit differently. Um, and, and I'm, you know, for, for reasonable legislation that is going to work to fix the problems that we face, I have no problem with that. I'm completely against gun violence. Um, like I said, I do not own a gun. I do not own a rifle. But I, I support the Constitution. In that same interview with uh, Catherine
0: Gregg, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier... Thirty thirty-five thousand 35,000 people may turn out in September, day after uh, Labor Day. And in that interview, uh, Casey said he heard estimates of the primary may be decided by special election numbers. The way he figures it, if the turnout in his own city of Woonsocket is roughly the same as the 7,000 that voted in the last one of mayoral election, well... um, that's um, if I uh, know my percentages. Um, that's about twenty-five um, percent of the uh, of the total vote. So uh, Woonsocket becomes a pretty important place uh, to hang your hat, I guess, in this special election.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it, uh, Roger. You know, if the if the participation <coughs> in Woonsocket is as high as it was during the last election, which basically because it's a special election, we Assume that it's not going to be, um, but if it is, then yes, that, that that will be a very, very good indicator um, and a very big help uh, if those people come out and support the, the candidate from One Socket, which would be me. But, like I said, it is a very difficult uh, time to do that. Uh, the special election, like I said, doesn't draw it. Some people don't feel it's important, but... I think this is a pivotal election for for the state of Rhode Island, and you know, getting that message out to the people of Woonsocket is is imperative. Uh, I'm going to be working with a very large team here in Woonsocket. I'm not going to rest on any laurels to say, "Yep, Woonsocket loves me." Um, that's not the way I operate.
0: From 1961 to 1989, we had a Woonsocket resident in the first congressional district, Fernand Saint Germain. And uh, so it was nice. Um, Unfortunately uh, for me, um, I actually remember interviewing him here as a congressman. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (sighs) Only to be replaced by Ron. You're looking
1: good, Rog. You're (laughs) still looking
0: good. Only to be replaced by Ron Makeley and Patrick Kennedy and David Cicilline. But it would be nice to be able to interview Steve Casey, another one socket guy in the 1st Congressional District. So that, to me, is a selling point of bringing back the office... Two um, two and socket. I don't know if I, you're going to use it as a selling point, but I would. Anything you want to say? We've got a, about a minute and a half to go, and and we uh, asked uh, Steve to be with us as a guest for Representative Dis- District 50. Talk about the General Assembly and talk about the first congressional race. Your microphone. Anything you want to talk about?
1: Well, I would just like to thank everybody for all the support that I've had over the last uh, over the last uh, 11 years. Uh, it's been it's been great to to. To be here always with you, Raj. Um, I just uh, I I would really like to ask the people to to support me in this endeavor. And like I said, I, I'm not doing this for me. This is for everybody who supported me. This is for our entire city. Like you said, it would be great to have a congressman from Woonsocket. Um, you know, there, I'm sure that there are a lot of things that can be, uh, that can be done for Woonsocket just because the congressman is from Woonsocket. And I think that that is a large selling point. Uh, like you said, Fernand St. Germain did so much for the city, uh, while he was, while he was there in tenure. And, uh, I just think, uh, I, would really like to be that person, uh, for everybody. And, you know, I, would like, to, I'm going to try to get out there and see everybody, uh, that, that I can, um. You know we'll be getting that message out again over the summer that of the importance of coming out to vote on that special election. And your next door neighbor Sandra wishes you the best of luck too, <laughs> Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. I'll be coming to see right. you too.
0: Right. She had a nice email, but like uh, like today's program, I'll take her email from today and read it tomorrow, like I did uh, earlier in the program. Hey, thank you, Steve, for being uh, with us, and uh, we'll have you back along
1: with all these other people here. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Well, good luck I mean, with that, Rog. <laughs> yeah. You might want to yeah. bring a couple in at a time because some, some of them are the same candidate. <laughs> yes.
0: Well said. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Okay, this you. has been WNRI's Upfront, presented weekday mornings at 8 a.m. Upfront is a regular public affairs presentation of New Talk 1380, WNRI one Socket.
1: WNRI one Socket. W260DC.
0: WNRI.